This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's Bright Focus Chat, AMD, A Patient's Perspective. If this is your first time in a Bright Focus Chat, thank you and welcome. I'll tell you briefly about what, we'll, what we do at Bright Focus and what we'll do today. Bright Focus Foundation is a nonprofit. We fund some of the top researchers in the world who are trying to find uh, cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. We share the latest news from these scientists with families that are impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free publications and plenty of materials on our website, brightfocus.org, that offer tips for living with diseases like macular degeneration and tips for caregivers. Today's Bright Focus chat is another way of sharing this information. I'll tell you about uh, today's Bright Focus chat, AMD, a patient's perspective. We've had an opportunity through Bright Focus chats to hear from researchers, clinicians, social workers, uh, and a range of people who've offered uh, news from the research front or, or caregiving tips or, or things to help make daily life a little more, a little more safe and independent. But today's an exciting opportunity to hear firsthand from a, pa from a patient with AMD and also their, their caregiver. So I think it'll be a great opportunity for, for all of us to get that patient uh, and family perspective. To get us started, we're gonna hear from Dr. William Lee from the Angiogenesis Foundation. Dr. Lee is the President and Chief Medical Officer, and he's gonna take a moment to tell us about his work and introduce our two special guests today. So Dr. Lee, thank you very much for joining us today. Great, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, so I'm Dr. William Lee, I'm the President and medical director of the nonprofit Angiogenesis Foundation. We're an organization that drives innovation to conquer and prevent diseases so that people can live healthier and longer lives. Um, at the Angiogenesis Foundation, an important focus of our mission is to improve patient-centered outcomes when it comes to the treatment of diseases like cancer and chronic wounds from diabetes and also for eye diseases. Now, the vision loss is a very, very uh, important topic to us. It's high interest because um, age-related macular degeneration, also called AMD, can now be effectively treated using injections that can stop unwanted and damaging blood vessels from growing in the eye. This is an area that we actually help to um, make successful called anti-angiogenic or sometimes called anti-VEGF or VEGF therapy. Um, a little bit about AMD from our perspective. Um, Age-related macular degeneration is the leading cause of blindness in people over the age of 50, and it impacts as many as 11 million people in the United States. And so we should all be aware of this condition and all think about what we need to do to screen ourselves medically to make sure that we um, uh, don't have it or if we have it to be uh, treated. There's two forms of AMD. Um, one is known as wet, uh, the other one is called dry. And how this condition of AMD progresses can vary from patient to patient, but ultimately, um, uh, no matter what the form, it can lead to vision loss and even complete blindness. And it can impact the quality of life for people who have it. For example, making it very difficult to read or to drive or to watch television or to recognize your loved ones, um, to socialize and also to live independently becomes more difficult. And up until 2006, 
there really were no truly effective treatments for AMD. But today, the good news is that wet AMD is highly treatable with these groundbreaking medicines called anti-VEGF treatments. Now, doctors know these medicines by names like ranibizumab, uh, which is also uh, commonly known as Lucentis, or Aflibercept, which is more commonly known as ILEA. And there are other ones that are also being developed. But these treatments all generally work by blocking the abnormal blood vessels from growing into the eye. And they've dramatically changed the prognosis for patients afflicted with AMD. And it makes it possible not only to save vision, but in some cases, even to reverse some of the lost vision, which is really remarkable. For anybody who's interested in learning more, I'd like to encourage you to visit our website at www.scienceofamd.org for more information about AMD and how you can protect your vision. And the reason that I'm actually so enthusiastic about sharing um, our information is that the most encouraging information is that researchers are showing there's even more room for improvement beyond what we're doing today. And that's why the Angiogenesis Foundation recently convened a group of doctors, patients, advocates, caregivers, researchers, and other stakeholders for a day-long national summit in Cambridge, Massachusetts to determine how we as a community can work together and better meet the needs of people who are living with this condition of wet AMD. The share goal that everybody had was to ensure that visions preserved as well as and for as long as possible. And it was during this event, this summit, that I had the great pleasure of meeting Leona, who's been living with AMD for decades. She has a really unique perspective to share. And Sharon, Leona's daughter, also joined us at the summit. And she, like many people who are helping uh, their parents navigate the world of AMD, also had some very uh, exciting and important insights to be able to share that we were able to benefit uh, from. So we're really excited to have them here today to share with us their wisdom and their experiences of um, grappling with the challenges of AMD. Well, great. Thank you, Dr. Lee, and I appreciate all you do. I think collectively, organizations like yours and Bright Focus are, are really having an impact uh, on research and, and caregiving, and appreciate you being so, so generous with, um, with your time. Leona, I'd like to, to start with you. Um, we'll have a, a number of questions for, for you today, but I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about um, your experience with uh, macular degeneration, a little bit about um, the, 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 the background um, of, your, of your experiences. Well, I was diagnosed, uh, when I was diagnosed, I was still teaching, still working. And uh, in the beginning, just my ophthalmologist knew that I had AMD. It wasn't evident to me, but it became evident. Uh, I retired uh, a few years after the diagnosis, still uh, driving and living my normal life, but uh, slowly, not slowly enough, but slowly it became evident that uh, I'd have to limit my activities. And now, uh, so many years later, I 
uh, am quite limited. I'm legally blind now, and uh, of course not uh, doing many things, and uh, actually not living where uh, where I did because I was living um, where none of my family, all of my family, had moved to other places. So I followed my eldest daughter, and I'm living in Maine now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, thank, thanks for that background. Now, Leono, how did you, you know, when, when the changes, uh, you know, became uh, more prominent and, um, and affected your day-to-day life more, how did, how did you react, um, you know, emotionally to, to those changes? Some some small changes, I must say, I actually thought of as challenges and, and took them as interesting challenges. But many of the changes were quite depressing. And now uh, my limitations are uh, not so much challenging as depressing. But um, I'm... Uh, I'm facing new ones all the time, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, understandable. Um, and uh, uh, kind of one more question for you, Leona, about that. How, um, what was it like to share, you know, the, these these um, the diagnosis and these changes with your family and friends? Like, how did you how did you share the news, and how did how did your family and friends uh, 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 react to that? Well, Sharon speak, of course, uh, the family reaction, and, and most of the uh, changes in all our lives uh, fell on first on me, I guess, and then on uh, Sharon because I moved to her community so that she can pick up the slack, which she does very well. Um, but... Uh, it's interesting that uh, my friends also rose to the challenge. They're very helpful. And uh, I find one of the things that's re- a real challenge now is eating. It's very difficult to get the food <laughs> neatly up to my mouth. <laughs> and um, so when I'm on my own or with very close friends, I eat with my fingers, I'm afraid to, I have to admit. And yeah. uh, I have a friend who joins me in that because she thinks it's fun. <laughs> so, I, so, yeah, I, yeah. thank you. Um, Sharon, I know, I um, just want to turn to you. I know that uh, your mom mentioned, um, you know, the, the role of family. Um, how, how did you um, feel about, uh, you know, the, the, these... Um, you know, changes in your mother's daily life and, and its impact on you. Like, how did you uh, respond to, to this when it, when it first started developing? Well, I think when it first started developing, I feel like I kind of missed the import of it. Um, I think maybe the doctors were careful as to how they presented it. And um, looking back on it, I would say that I maybe wasn't as attentive to um, 
oh my goodness, now we have to do a lot of things to make life, you know, because life is going to change. I think I missed a lot of that. I think it was a while before I realized how important it was to attend doctor's appointments with her um, and to make some changes. So the initial part, um, I feel like I didn't, it, it didn't, it seemed maybe more long-term, more gradual. You know, I, I think I was, I mean, I, now I know a whole lot more from living with, you know, Leona's experience and from having attended that conference and the symposium in October at the Angiogenesis Foundation. But it was, um, it wasn't a steep learning curve at the beginning, and I think it should have been for me. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I'd like to, to follow up on that in a moment. But so, so Sharon, just to kind of expand on that, do you have any advice for people that might be uh, at the at the beginning of of this journey as caregivers? Um, anything you'd like, you know, if you could uh, have the chance to talk to somebody at, at the very beginning of this as a caregiver, um, anything you'd like to impart to them? Yes, I would say very explicitly, go to every doctor's appointment. Um, you know, attend every doctor's or get somebody to attend with the patient who can both take notes or record it. You know, however you gather information, I tend to be a note taker, but um, have somebody there who can, you know, who can get the information from the doctor, who can ask the questions that the patient may forget to ask or be too anxious to ask or whatever. Um, but definitely from the beginning, from the time somebody says, I think this is what I'm seeing, um, take it seriously. No, I appreciate that. And Leona, kind of following up on your, your daughter's uh, comments, I was wondering, Leona, what, what do you think um, helps patients best, uh, you know, communicate with, with their with their doctor? How, you know, what do you think, uh, based off your experience, either is... is is key to a, a good a good doctor's appointment. Well, one thing is to try to uh, anticipate what might become difficult. Try to imagine some of the things you do every day or that you need to do to make your life uh, comfortable. Uh, try to picture it with limited vision. And if it's going to be a problem, try to figure out compensations, uh, yeah. you know, behaviors that and systems that change things. It's not easy because oh, you have to keep changing things yeah. because it's a progressive disease. Uh, it, that complicates it, uh, but it it can be done. It's many years now that I'm still living independently with a lot of help. Hmm. Um, I, I'm yeah, not you... independent of all help, but I I manage on yeah, my no. own. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and Leona, one more question on that in terms of you say you're able to, to live on your own. Have you had to make physical type of changes, adaptations around your, your house or your apartment uh, uh, to in order to, to continue to live independently? Oh, yes. Many, many things. I have 
uh, well, many things in my house now are labeled with the giant magic marker uh, symbols so that I know, for example, uh, some things in the freezer, a lot of things in the freezer, and uh, cans of soup. <laughs> so I know, you know, not every meal is a surprise, although <laughs> many are. Yeah, and I appreciate that. And um, uh, I think I believe you said that you at some point had to um, retire from driving. I was wondering if, if uh, what was that um, change like for you? That was a downer. It it is driving was as for many people, I guess most people uh, was the way that I was independent, spontaneous, uh, just, uh, you know, and um, capable. I was, uh, I liked driving, and I liked uh, even long-distance drives. Before I lived in Maine, I lived in Connecticut, and uh, spent many weekends driving up to Maine to visit Sharon. Yeah. No, it's a it's a big change. And Sharon, I know that the driving, uh, you know, question it, it's something that affects all generations in the family, and and you know can can sometimes be be a little challenging. I was wondering, Sharon, um, how how did this, you know, did you have conversations with with family members, or how did how did the the driving uh, uh, situation um, evolve? Like, what was your perspective on that? Well. We were lucky, and because I've had friends who have had this as a crisis with an older parent who was not capable for one reason or another of driving anymore, but was unwilling to surrender um, that that activity. Um, I just felt like I don't. I'm not sure that we actually, you know, we may have had a couple, I may have had a couple of conversations with my siblings, but I'm not sure that I did because um, I kind of watched Leona. I mean, to my, it was, you know, to my great gratitude, watched Leona slowly, you know, gradually restrict her driving, you know, go only during the day and only short distances and then make the decision, which I knew was very difficult for her. Um, but she made the decision on her own. I, I don't remember. I mean, she could maybe correct me, but I don't remember that she and I ever had one of those, um, painful conversations with me saying, do you think it's time for you to stop driving? I think she, I think she did it on her own in plenty of time before, you know, there was nothing there weren't any accidents um and and even at the time i knew how fortunate i was that she had made that decision because as i say i've watched other people go through that with their families and it's painful for both for for both parties well no it's uh, appreciate your your perspective it sounds like you had the best possible uh uh, you know, outcome for what what you like I said is a very difficult situation. Um, Leona, one of our listeners has a question for you. Um, uh, Colleen from Ontario was wondering if you have received injections in the eye, and if yes, um, are they painful? 
yes, I, I did receive them. And when I received them, the painful part, the most painful part of the injections, in fact, perhaps the only painful part, was that at that time they were still using, I believe, an iodine mixture uh, as an antiseptic. And that stung, <laughs> was, you know, terrible. Uh, that And that was in preparation, uh, you know, just before the injection. But no, the injections themselves, to my recollection, were not painful. But I believe it's because there there's an analgesic that is administered first. And in the course of my having injections, since I was one of the uh, first uh, or early patients getting the injections, I uh, had uh, I had treatments and procedures that I think have been updated, but uh, but it, I don't think that. Uh, Reluctance to to get injections should keep you uh, from getting them. They're very helpful, and we're very very lucky now to have them. Yeah, and no, I, I I agree. And I was wondering, you know, as, as far as tech, as technology, like you know, medicine and technology continue to improve. Leona, I was wondering, are there specific devices or videos such as lighting or magnifying glasses or type of vision therapy? Are, are there things that have helped your day-to-day -day life? Yes. Their technology is uh, trying to keep up with the needs. And uh, in the course of my, my procedure through this journey, <laughs> such as it is, um, I've had uh, I've used uh, all kinds of magnifiers that uh, are very helpful for as long as as that makes it possible for you to recognize uh, letters and and to read. I uh, was fortunate enough to uh, have a to uh, acquire a reading machine. Um, I don't know if you know you might have seen those in your yeah. public library. They're very helpful. Uh so yes, I have I've used a, a lot of technology and I've had help from a local agency here, the Iris Agency, which is uh whose um uh, mission is to help with vision problems. And uh, they've, you know, put um, markers on things in my apartment that help. And and I did use the uh, daylight lights for a while. That made a big difference. Yeah. It, it's a changing situation, but um, at each stage, there there was something that helped. <laughs> and Good. I well, used that's, uh... Yeah. Could I That's... add something? Sure, Sharon. Um, so, and one of the things that the Iris Network did um, was give Leona mobility training, 
when she moved here, um, we would walk downtown, and I realized I had no way of helping her figure out where the mark, you know, where the lights were, how to how to figure out how to cross the street. I mean, I could walk with her and keep her safe, but I couldn't teach her anything because I'm not a mobility trainer. So the Iris Network had occupational therapists and um, mobility training, and um, that was enormously helpful in keeping her independent so that she can leave her apartment in, you know, in good weather when we have good weather and um, walk downtown. And yeah. um, she can say more about it. She still needs some help at, at corner, yeah. you know, at, at intersections. But um, they did, they provided a lot of services. That's great. And I'll ask more about that in a moment. But just think it's um, related to, I think what both, both of you mentioned is, is important about asking for help and services in your community. So, uh, Leona, from a, a patient's perspective, do you have any, uh, it sounds like your, your you know, Sharon's been, been very, been very helpful and, and others. How, so, Leona, I was wondering, what do you, do you have advice for, for uh, people with, living with AMD, how to best ask for help with family members or others in their community? One thing that's important to remember if you're an AMD patient is that other it's not an evident uh, problem. N nobody can tell by looking at you that you're having trouble with vision. So however you let people know well, it's it's important to let people know that you don't see things as clearly as as you would like, or that you need help uh, finding the railing on stairs or the door handle or whatever it is. It, it's important if you can to identify yourself as uh, being grateful for help. And I'm very fortunate to have moved to Portland where there are so many people who are helpful. That's, that's great. And because I know, you, you know we, you, we hear people feel some sort of stigma or feel a little uncomfortable, uh, you know, admitting that, that something is challenging uh, or, you know, to, you know, kind of the, the aging process. It, it sounds like... Uh, it sounds like you've had a very positive experience. Um, Sharon, what's been your perspective about, um, e even as a caregiver, uh, asking asking for help, and how, how has that gone? Um, it's been, I think Leona's been mostly, most of the time, pretty explicit about what she needs. Every so often, you know, like, I'm not getting it. and um, But for the most part, I think... Um, the more explicit she can be, and I and she's been, um, you know, my experience working with my mother is that for the most part, that whole issue of I don't want to ask for help, I don't want to admit I need help, has not been as has not been as much of an issue as it can be. I think for the most part, she's been um, open about. I really need you to do this for me, um, but but I I get that. I mean, there are certainly times that that can be an issue for anybody, and um, and I think there are times that I probably don't ask 
directly enough, do you need help with that? Or do you want me not to help you with that? You know, do you want me to step back and let you do that independently? Um, but we do live in a. Luckily, we live in a community where I'm this this network, the Iris Network, has been very helpful, and um, and I'm not sure. I think they were the ones who connected Leona with the um, division, the um, Department of Labor Division for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And they've provided some services, um, but I don't know that I have specific advice for people sure. in other communities about how to ask for how to find those services. Yeah. Sure, no, I understand. And and, and Sharon, you know, I think I've always felt that the caregivers are the the you know the, the unappreciated, often you know are, are under, unnoticed and unappreciated. And uh, from your experience, Sharon, what? Can uh, the family members or coworkers or bosses or neighbors of a caregiver do to, to support what, what you go through? Because you mentioned all these things you do for your mother. Are there things that, that people can do uh, for you? Um, that's a good question. I think for me, what it, I, I guess for me, what I, the only thing I need, which I feel I get, from both my friends and the rest of our family is acknowledgement, you know, and like somebody somebody from out of, you know, a, a sibling who lives from, lives away saying, you know, I'm coming for the weekend. We, do you need to take the weekend off? Do you want to, you know, go off and just play for a weekend? Usually I say no. I just as soon spend the time with my mother and my sister or brother who's here visiting. But, um, it's, I guess, because we're. I feel like Leona and I are pretty fortunate in being able to manage most of what she, you know, manage the tasks that she needs done, and um, she can still, you know, afford to have help, pay some paid assistance. Um, that I don't need a lot of the concrete things done, you know, the sort of mundane tasks done for me or for her. Um, but again, I feel like that's because of our particular situation. We just happen to have, she, Leona has a good network here. Um, and most of, most of, I think most of what she needs that can be done for somebody else get done. Yeah, well, that's, that's good to hear. And now, um, kind of related to that, Leona, are there things that uh, you know, you feel that 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 a doctor's office, a clinician's office, can do to be better to better inform or assist uh, an AMD patient and their family. Any anything that you feel a doctor's offices could do better? Yes, yes, it's a very strong recommendation that there be a social worker or clinical psychologist or someone in that in that field who can help with counseling because I think we're, as Sharon said, we're pretty lucky and when we do get uh, pushed to the edge, either one of us, uh, we can just say it and, uh, you know, that takes care of a cranky comment or <laughs> or whatever. But uh, I I think it's uh, it would be very easy 
to uh, have a lot of serious problems, you know, if you're suddenly thrust into this caregiving role. Sharon's pretty good about it, and I try to cooperate, you know, as much as I can. But it's it's hard. It it's and yeah. and I think admitting that it's difficult and uh, that you want to solve problems before they start is would be a great help. When Leona first said that, I thought that that really is a is a concrete and um, really useful suggestion for any doctor who's dealing, you know, who's dealing with patients with AMD because the doctor's expertise obviously is medical, but, um, you know, as I've looked back over Leona's history, you know, the anxiety and the depression, um, the doctor can't necessarily deal with that, but because that diagnosis is likely to engender either of those or both of those, um, I think that any I think all practices would benefit from um having either a social worker or a psychologist on staff. Oh, I think I think that's I think that is just a great point that that both of you made and and um as I mentioned at the outset of the call uh, Bright Focus has has a number of materials on its on on our website brightfocus.org that um that are helpful and obviously it can't take the place of the the great services that you mentioned but if it if it um you know, increases uh, your knowledge a little bit at all, and so uh, Leona and Sharon, as we as we you know kind of uh, come to toward the end of our our, our time together today, I was wondering, um, Leona, when you look back at at your your journey, is there anything particular that you're uh, that you're most proud of? You know, something that you thought was going to be very difficult, but you find yourself uh, yes. doing okay with. But before I talk about something I'm proud of, I would like to make a suggestion that unfortunately of an example of something I did that was a big mistake. I I did not, I misread a symptom partway through this uh, odyssey and I didn't get to my eye doctor right away thinking that the graying of my vision was from cataracts rather than and it was a sign of a of my macular degeneration having gone from dry to wet and I was having a bleed and wow. uh I I by the time I got to a an appointment. Um, you know, I had lost some more vision. Might have, who knows? But it might have been prevented. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. How long did that? So uh, I encourage even even if you don't want to be one of those patients who calls with every symptom, I encourage you to be one. <laughs> No, that, that's yeah. That's great advice for for all of us. And so, in, in this yes, journey, yes. are there something you feel like you've no, you've, you've uh, done 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 well? Particularly um, proud of? 
in your experience living uh, with with AMD, um, is there anything particular that you you feel has been a uh, an yeah. accomplishment that's maybe hasn't has gone better than maybe you had had feared? Well, it, it's funny. There are little accomplishments like being able to put a plug into a wall socket. It, you know, you can. I can spend quite a bit of time trying to do that, and I'm I'm very pleased when I do it. And I'm still uh, cooking and uh, doing some household tasks myself. Uh, you know, operating laundry machines and whatnot. Uh, and all of those are. I mean. I guess my advice would be hold on to whatever. You just have to be patient. I, I have learned uh, that I, I can't do things as nearly as quickly as I used to. But to do them at all is still a triumph. So yeah. that's, well, that's where great. I am now. Well, thank you. And, and Sharon, kind of a last question for you. How has your experience as a caregiver, has that changed you as a person or your, your perspective on on, uh, on life and its challenges? Um, well, I hope it has. <laughs> I, I hope I'm also more patient. Um, it's, it's, it's very different from um, what I expected, I guess. Um, because in some ways, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't have to be the parent, but I have to do things for my mother that she used to not only do for herself, but do for me. So, um, so yeah, it does change. It, I guess it changes your perspective in ways that are kind of, you know, they're almost, I'm not sure I can even articulate them. But... Um, it does well it it makes um i guess it makes me face um again and there have been other challenges in my life but it it as you face aging you know my mother's aging my own aging um those are all um big things to grapple with and when you're because Leona's right here and I'm doing, you know, managing her checkbook or whatever. Um, there's no denial. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a, it's a great point. And, and uh, I just want to thank the two of you for your, your, uh, your, your, your openness and your candor and a lot of very specific, uh, specific I- I- advice that will help help uh, pay persons living with AMD and their caregivers. I really think that, that, uh, Rich, appreciate your generosity of your time and the generosity of, of your uh, of your helpful helpful tips to to help families. So once again, um, thank you very much to Leona and, and to Sharon and to Dr. Lee and to the, the Angiogenesis Foundation um, for being such such great partners in in helping to to educate and inform uh, families that are impacted by this disease. I really think that. Uh, Sharon and Leona and Dr. Lee uh, gave some great advice and, and some good, good suggestions and, and definitely some peace of mind. So on behalf of the Bright Focus Foundation, I just want to thank everybody for joining us today, and we will talk with you next month. Thank you. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation. 
and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.